0: It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania.
1: This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I spoke to you guys a moment ago about Neil Barrow of Filmic Pro and how accomplished he is and how much I love all of those apps. And now we are lucky enough to have him on the phone with me. So Neil, how are you today? I'm
0: doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Before we
1: get too far down the line, I do want to thank OWC for sponsoring the podcast. Without them, I wouldn't be able to be talking to you today. So thank you, Larry and team over there at OWC. We're really grateful to you. And um, Neil, I watched you um, on stage at the Worldwide Developer Conference. And we, we won't talk too much about it because I noticed the new version isn't up yet. But uh, uh, we we affectionately call that the Dub Dub, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Dub Dub. You were on stage at the Dub Dub talking about a new multicam version of Filmic Pro. How's that coming? Uh, can you tell us any more about what's happening with that?
0: Um, sure. And um, just a quick clarification, I was in the venue um, and may have been seen, but it was actually Sean Baker and our CTO, Chris Cohen, right. who got the luxury of being on stage. And Chris is probably the best person to articulate the technical underpinnings of what rolled out with iOS 13 and the iPhone 11 Pros that is going to make the next generation of Filmic Pro uh, possible. So um, multicam is, I think, a revolutionary capability. Um, actually, Kevin Bonavirio and I were recently at CES last week, and we had a great time testing out the latest filmic like beta with the multicam uh, on the trade show floor at CES. All right, all day. right.
1: I'm jealous now. I was at CES. Why didn't I see this?
0: <laughs> and it was fantastic because it actually made a richer, um presentation and interaction as we would wander from, you know, one booth to the next. Actually, we shot an interesting clip of the Sony booth where they unveiled, uh, I'm presuming it's an electric car, which I had seen on, you know, maybe like TechCrunch or Mashable or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, hmm, it's kind of hideous. But then when I saw it up close and personal, I was like, that's amazing. And so Kevin and I had this great interaction where he's filming me with a rear camera and he's on the front facing camera and the Sony car is like right over my shoulder. I'm talking about it and then you hear him adding his color contradictory impressions uh, on it and it became That's sort of like nuanced piece of media that was actually unlike any that I've sort of been accustomed to seeing, you know, historically it would have been, you know, the interviewer with the microphone and they're both standing in front of the uh, lens and. This, I think, actually managed to like pull the viewer into the experience even more, like they were operating the camera and looking at the same thing that Kevin was and had their own opinions and wanted to interject it into the conversation. So it was a really validating moment um, for us because we knew that multicam was compelling, at least from sort of like a journalistic perspective, but I think had posited that it was going to open up new avenues, especially in things like narrative production that haven't really been imagined yet. So some of the conversations early on are, you know, like what would Spielberg or Soderbergh do with this sort of technology? Um, And I'm not 100 percent sure that there is something specifically that they would do for that, at least when it comes to like a Hollywood theatrical um, experience certainly behind-the-scenes type content for the expanded DVD or iTunes uh, extras uh, that would be a really compelling option. But this definitely proved that for like 15 to 25 year olds, they're going to take this technology in new directions that I can possibly imagine. Um, and so I think the media landscape five years from now is going to be really interesting, and how much multi cams had an impact on that will also be a fascinating thing to watch.
1: It's it's it is fascinating. I mean, when I shoot recently, I've been using two iPhones the A cam and the B cam, which is the more traditional way of doing it, right? So uh, but now it seems like uh, you could get quite a few angles using two different iPhones plus the multi-cam. Right. That would be awesome. So can you explain kind of the way it works? So you're shooting, one angle would be, I call the selfie angle. Mm-hmm. And then can you pick any of the three cameras that are on the back?
0: Uh, yep. With okay. helmets implementation of it, you can. And actually, there's an important thing for your listeners to make sure that they grasp, and that is that different camera angles are one thing and then different field of view is another thing. So you're absolutely correct in using the selfie in any of the three rears, you're going to get two very distinct camera angles. But if you're choosing a multicam experience from the rear lens array, you're actually ultimately going to have the same camera angle. It's where your singular device is and then you're going to have two out of three available field of view so whether it's super wide wide or telephoto lens i guess we're on an audio call because i'm using my hands here to try to uh, i know me too <laughs> <what that. laughs> so but you know if you want a third the equivalent of a 13 mil lens and you go to the ultra wide and that's going to give you your most environmental presentation Uh, Wide is probably the most user-friendly, 24, uh, roughly, millimeter equivalent. And then the telephoto, if you want to get a nice, clean close-up for dramatic emphasis. So in that respect, I think it has amazing potential for the single-person shooter but I also think that some people immediately equate that to that you can have three different camera angles. And so ultimately you would need to have two devices and then you could, of course, run two multi cam uh, lens selectors on both. And then in the edit room, you have four different options from uh, a single live take. So I think that's incredibly compelling and it's either twice the coverage or half the time. Um, it's definitely going to just like speed up productions and give people uh, options in the edit room and also potentially like a fail safe device. You know, if you're filming with a telly and either the wide or the super telly and your talent basically maybe moves their head too much and ultimately cuts off a little of the headroom that you intended in the shot then you can immediately just go to your wide uh, angle and you don't have to bang your head against the wall and be like, do we have time in the production for a reshoot? Can we even get back into the location? So I think there's going to be untold ways that's going to benefit small and upcoming productions.
1: I'm really excited about it. Uh, it's, it's amazing. How on earth did you come up with this idea? <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I, I wouldn't say, say that we specifically came up with the multicam technology in and of itself. And actually, I don't even think we can give Apple credit for it because I think there are some Android handsets manufacturers that uh, brought it out first, but I think in a similar way that the iPod probably perfected the MP3 performance uh, and brought it to the masses, that that's very much what Apple is going to bring to the multicam experience. So I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say here due to confidentiality uh, agreements, but we were basically invited to take a look at the new technology, as were some other companies, and we brought our ideas to bear and they were met favorably. And uh, since then, it's been off to the races.
1: Well, I can see why it was met favorably. Everybody's really looking forward to it. I'm assuming, tell me if I'm wrong, that since you were demoing it for yourself and using it at CES, that it's not going to be a long time before we can actually habit. I keep checking. (laughs) I keep checking the filmic site to see when am I going to get this? When am I going to get this?
0: Yeah. So I would say that there's definitely going to be a large scale announcement before the end of the month. Oh, awesome.
1: That's good news. All right. Well, we'll, we will definitely watch out for that. So let's back up for just a moment. And then I do want to cover all of your different products and what they do for people who might not have used it.
0: You we're born in Hawaii, of all places, and actually, this will be a lingering bit of family drama. My parents moved from Hawaii when I was six weeks old um, to Maryland, of all places, uh, and I've never been back to Hawaii, for basically, like fear of holding it against my parents and cool. resenting the fact that I wasn't able to grow up <laughs> uh, there. So, probably the least attuned native Hawaiian that there is uh, you know the charms of the islands there so someday it'll happen but you know hasn't yet
1: oh you need to visit it's beautiful you would love it i know you would love it <laughs> okay i'm gonna get in trouble here so you went to school though you went to college in vancouver Right. Tell me about growing up. How did you get involved in the creative arts? How young were you when you first started?
0: Oh, um, I mean, I think I actually approached it from the creative writing uh, standpoint. Um, So my parents were both uh, English majors. I was, you know, halfway decent with the language from a young age. I think I went to undergrad, basically wrestling with whether I wanted to be a creative writer or whether I wanted to do something completely different. So I was a double major in English and geography and a minor in art history, which is sort of a long winded way of saying I had absolutely no (laughs) clue of what I wanted to do. And I had a friend who's in the film program uh, at Keene State College, which is a liberal arts college in southwest New Hampshire, um, and I kept threatening to jump majors and join them. It's like, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Um, so ended up taking a Film history course, which was actually amazing. I mean, everything from Cecil B. DeMille to Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, things like Contempt, Grand Illusion, uh, Children of Paradise, 400 Blows, Eight and a Half. I mean, I mean, all of these just like wonderful films from the world over that, you know, most 20 year olds have never heard of. So, I mean, my mind was completely blown. And Like that was something that I could get inspired and invigorated behind, whereas maybe like Hollywood was telling stories that weren't speaking to me so much. But like a lot of people, I didn't quite, you know, take the jump and pursue my passion at that time. So after undergrad, I had a job in utah of all places i was working at the snowbird ski resort as a hotel front desk clerk on the graveyard shift which was a mistake in all sorts of ways because i thought i would have my days off and ski all the time but when you stay up all night till six or seven in the morning the last thing you want to do is grab your skis go up the gondola and you know try to make it down a black diamond mogul field, which is, you know, hard to do even in your best well-rested days. So a lot of the time, I mean, we get people checking in at midnight or one in the morning, two in the morning, and then people checking out at 4.30 or five, but there was definitely a gap from two to five in the morning where not a lot happens. I watch one mostly horrible movie after another and kept saying, God, I could do better than this. I can do better than this. Um, And so ultimately ended up going to film school in Vancouver, the Vancouver Film School expedited one year program. Um, You know, we've chatted in the past uh, about, you know, should somebody go to film school? Should somebody not go to film school? And I think it's an interesting aside to make that there's no right or wrong Answer to that, there's mm-hmm. certainly circumstances, money that play a part, and there's definitely the opportunity to make your own film now in a way that was much harder to do then. So whether you're going to go to film school or not, you should definitely make a handful of short iPhone-related projects beforehand. I'll see how much you like and see uh, if you have the aptitude for it. But there's a ton to learn to be versed in the language of cinema. And it ultimately doesn't matter where you learn those lessons, but there's a huge value to knowing what they are. So what's the psychological impact of pulling back on a person versus the psychological impact of pushing in on a person? Same single shot, and you're just changing the direction of the camera and potentially the speed that would cheer moving that. But the actual effect that you're having on your audience psychologically is profound. Absolutely. I happen to learn that in film school. You know, somebody who's 15 years of age now and just trying that out with Filmic Pro and iMovie or LumaFusion, you know, they might just learn that lesson by experimentation. And doing like, oh, wait, this isn't the effect that I want to have. I'm going to go reshoot that and do it again.
1: Ever since I started using this app that your tutorials and actually using the app itself is like going to film school when I teach young kids or people who are using it for the first time how to use it, going through all the steps you go through to set up your shots is like a little mini class in filmmaking. It's it's just a wonderful, wonderful app. Um so, talk to to me for a moment. Um, well, I guess we we should do the the filmic one hundred and one for people who haven't used it. Can you explain? what it is and what it does and and why you started it?
0: Sure. The ambition for Filmic Pro is to basically take the broadcast level control and functionality that you would expect on a ten dollars to $50,000 camera and reduce it to roughly a $15 iPhone and Android application. So if you're accustomed to, you know, it started out with frame rate control. And when we first launched Filmic Pro, the native app just shot 30 frames a second, bring in 24 frames a second for the cinematic motion was vitally important, offering separate control for focus and exposure. Another thing that the native app at the time didn't do was Filmic Pro's second primary or initial calling card. Subsequently, the native apps gotten extraordinarily better over the years, but you know, there's so many other things that we've been excited to uh, layer into the app since then much higher data rates. So if you're going to project onto a big screen or color grade in DaVinci Resolve, then we give you data rich footage that's going to hold up to that and let you express yourself. Artistically, however you want to, which is really the mission statement for the company. We want to enable artistic creativity wherever it happens in any way uh, that we can. Um, It often sort of manifests itself in a sort of line about, you know, we're all about democratization of media and a lot of companies say something similar, um, which is good because, I mean, I think that that's actually powerful and profound and, The 20th century was probably typified by media that was controlled by a handful of gatekeepers. You know, if the seven studios didn't want your film going on to a theatrical screen, then you were done for and you weren't going to make your money back and nobody would know who you were and whatever your passion project was that you'd spent two years willing into existence would wither on the vine And uh, people would, you know, have real psychological issues with that and potentially give up their dreams or ambitions of being a filmmaker.
1: And financial concerns, financial concerns, too, because a lot of people and I've been guilty of this. You put everything you have into these movies and if you can't sell it, you're in trouble. You have created a world where people can use the equipment that is now available to them and shoot amazing visuals with an app that is easily affordable and accessible. And now you even have Filmic Remote, which which I love. I love. Uh, Can you talk about Filmic Remote for a moment?
0: Sure. So it just gets back to the enabling creativity uh, mission statement and trying to replicate at an accessible price point. I don't know if I want to say consumer price point because I actually don't think that necessarily Filmic Pro and certainly paired with Filmic Remote is exactly a consumer-oriented product. It's definitely more of an enthusiast, advanced, professional product. But so Filmic Remote allows you to leverage the peer-to-peer connectivity between an iPad, say, and an iPhone. So if I want to put my camera basically on a hood mount or a jib arm or a dolly slider or potentially I have it on one of the innumerable affordable gimbals, um, but I have my camera operator chasing my actor through, I mean, anything, field, forest, cemetery, or something where the camera operator is not going to be able to control the camera interface because they're dodging objects and trying to keep up with the main actor, then you can have an assistant uh operator um, handling focus and exposure on the iPad. So that was the simplest or initial implementation of that. And then we expanded it to also take the place of, I guess, sort of like video village. So mm-hmm. if you need to see your waveform monitors or your histograms, then you can huddle around that. Or if the director just needs to see how the scene is playing out, but can't quite get close enough to the action, then they can watch it in a full screen preview on filmic remote. So and we think it's fantastic and um, just opens up more avenues for people to realize their vision.
1: It is fantastic. It really is. So, talk to me about CineKit.
0: Sure. So, <laughs> I, it's actually funny that you say that because officially it's called the Cinematographer Kit, but we're certainly planning to uh, truncate it and uh, make it a <laughs> little bit more. Sorry, roll-off. I was calling that it kind of <laughs> In a handful of months, uh, hopefully everybody will be calling it the syndicate. Oh, cool. Chris, our CTO, he's a fascinating brain. I don't know how else to uh, put it. But he had basically been remapping the gamma splines of uh, iPhone footage and then came to us and said that he thought that he had a way to deliver logarithmic footage on an iPhone. Um So the initial response was fantastic, amazing, great, let's do it. And then we had a sort of bout of concern about how to ensure that people who knew how to handle log footage and were ultimately going to color grade it afterwards had access to it where people who had never shot log or didn't know what it was wouldn't be able to essentially potentially wreck their footage by accidentally recording in log and then being like why are all of my colors washed out you know what is What's the problem with this desaturated footage? So that was initially the thought was to basically like protect it, put it behind a paywall. And so only the people that needed to get to it. And then we kind of got carried away and we're like, well, what if we gave people control over their RGB sliders or their black and white points, which actually fit the CineKit concept as well? Like if you don't know what a black and white point is or why you want to adjust it, then you probably shouldn't adjust it because <laughs> you might do something to your footage that you don't want to do. You're like, whoops, <laughs> whoops. Right. So it ended up, we think, actually working out great. And actually an interesting anecdote, I guess, for your readers, um, Sean Baker, who probably most of the people know and certainly helped filmic immeasurably by shooting Cangerine's on uh filmic pro a while ago actually shot the last scene of the florida project also a highly regarded indie spirit nominee uh film with an alpha version of our log. so we were thrilled, and that was a great opportunity for us. You know, unfortunately for Sean, it was an alpha version instead of a beta version, which means, you know, one version still in development. So it's even better now. <laughs> he ultimately got the effect that he wanted, but he had to wrestle with it uh, a little bit. But So that was its uh, beginning, coming out party. And now a ton of our users adore the cinematographer kit. And in fact, I was just looking at some stats the other day. And almost 30% of our Android users have bought the cinematographer kit for an over $10 in-app purchase to convert at almost 30% when the average in-app purchase conversion is around 1% to 3%. Staggering. So it definitely shows that our audience is enjoying uh, what we do and finds value in the products that we're bringing to market.
1: That's awesome. So... A companion to that would then be access now to LUTs. How is that working?
0: Yeah, so actually right now we essentially have a D-log LUT, which accelerates your um, color grading and taking the log footage back to REC 709 container. 8-bit into 10-bit, back to an 8-bit. So it's an essential step, but it's not necessarily like a creative one. I think in Filmic Pro version 7, you're going to see an expansion in our level of LUT support. I always get myself in trouble when I talk about this stuff publicly before it's in the market.
1: I don't want to get you in trouble.
0: (laughs) I think there's going to be a lot more attention paid to the artistic finishing steps of the process in filming, not just in our uh, version seven uh, update, but I think throughout the year following. So we're exceedingly excited about that. So we're just scratching the surface of what we're going to do with LUTs. And it's also important to point out that LUTs are one way to color grade your footage, but certainly not the only way. And people who shoot in log or shoot in the less aggressive flat uh, color profile can do spectacular things in color grading software without ever leveraging a lookup table. So either way you want to do it, we're we're there for
1: you. Yeah, I think um, it the let or not to let argument is ongoing amongst the creatives. And it really is a very personal decision. It's a very personal decision. Sometimes you want to use them because you want to show your client what it might look like in the end. Sometimes uh, people are using it because they're in a hurry to get something done and they need to get it out and it's for the web or something. But um do you have any hints for filmmakers who are using all of your solutions and uh, getting ready to go into post production? Anything they need to know that could make that transition? easier for them or uh, give them really better results i mean
0: yeah so i mean that's a fascinating question and i don't actually think it has an easy answer like it's almost um akin to you know what should my settings be in filming pro for the best results and it's like well that depends on what your project is what your objectives are what your distribution platform is going to be. I mean, and it's also interesting because we have everything from the one person band who's going to shoot, edit, go straight to uh, YouTube to, you know, I mean, I guess actually this week we were tickled pink because there's a new short film that came out called Daughter that I think was done for the Chinese New Year that was by the director of Hidden Figures and the cinematographer of joker and shot with filmic pro so you know what that team needs to consider before going into post-production versus the person who's like you know i'm going to shoot my unboxing video of, you know i don't know the Zion smooth q2 gimbal are going to be completely different so it isn't right a hard fast rule so to try to sum it up ultimately know where you're going, and that will help you choose uh, the path that you take to get there. If you have any questions, actually, one of the things that I think we're most proud of over the last handful of years is implementing a robust customer support uh, staff that is not outsourced. It's all directly in-house, and we try to respond to any customer support requests within 24 hours. So if you have questions about how you want to finish your project and you don't know the answer then just drop us a line it's
1: awesome and you have amazing tutorials on your site too so there was a really exciting announcement in december uh regarding your contest that you ran recently and uh talk to us about the filmic pro the contest and the judges and i haven't seen all of them but i've been watching as many as i can of the films it's amazing what is being done with filmic Pro and with mobile applications now, you never could have done this years ago. So <laughs> I don't even know where to start with it because some of these some of these films are breathtaking.
0: Yeah, so I, this is our, or at least for me personally, our favorite part of the year and the one that's most rewarding. Um, it shows basically why we do what we do, and as a former filmmaker turned God corporate executive, like. <laughs> I, I end up having to live vicariously through the, the beautiful artistic pieces that uh, other people make. So this was the fourth year that we've done the short film contest. I think we actually finally landed on our favorite branding of it, just a short, pithy little filming fest. And we got over 1,500 submissions from about 85 countries around the world. Historically, we've always done it across six categories, fiction, documentary, music, travel, experimental, and then have a floating sixth category. And just unbelievable. I mean, what? people the scope of their imagination so far beyond mine the level of you know connection heartfelt emotion passion conviction immediately relatable and so I'm I was actually having an earlier discussion uh, with one of our partners on the phone and we were kind of talking about how some of the bigger companies in the world still, miss or don't recognize the value in that like everybody's chasing people who've already made it and nobody's going to impugn somebody like steven spielberg or oprah or ellen you know i mean they're all fantastically talented people and you know they should have content out there because people respond to it favorably But they're not the only ones. And I think that like that's the whole motivation for starting Filmic, is before you had to be anointed to be allowed to tell your story. And now you can just tell your story. I guess I'll just tell one or two anecdotes about the contest this year. There was an incredible documentary that came in early on. It was called Tokyo Underwater. It came from... Colombia it was a about a quadriplegic um swimmer paraplegic uh a
1: paralympic swimmer she was a paralympic swimmer who couldn't use her legs because of a genetic disease and is losing her hands, the ability to grip with her hands too, right? Is that the one you're thinking about?
0: Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, yeah. And devastating. And, I mean, she's, and so you take what you think is sort of going to be like a sad, tear-jerking story, and then you realize that she doesn't have time for that and that she is just like a warrior. And so, I mean, I'm watching this film and just, you know, like, weeping, and, you know, my heart's swelling, and I'm just like, oh, my God, well, here's not only our documentary winner, here's our grand prize winner, like, it's over, I don't even care what else uh, comes in, and this is to take nothing away from the story, because it is fantastic, we did a screening of all of the best ones in front of a live, you know, audience, and it slayed then too yet in, it actually... Didn't even end up winning Best Documentary because something came in that was possibly even better, and I would have never dreamed it. I would have like I would would have never dreamed it. Then when that new documentary came in, it was just like, oh my god, this is potentially even better than Tokyo Underwater. So like, okay, well this is definitely winning the Grand Prize, and it won the category, and we shipped off our six category winners to our celebrity judges, which. I just have to give a shout out to them because I'm so thrilled that they were a part of it. But Steven Soderbergh, Rachel Morrison, first woman ever nominated for a cinematography uh, Academy Award. Matthew Cherry, who is a former NFL player turned aspiring filmmaker, who shot his first feature film for almost no money on Filmic Pro a couple years ago. And then today, today, got nominated for an Academy Award for uh, Best Short Film. So we contributed in some small part to his journey to being an um, Academy Award-nominated filmmaker. Sean Baker, who we, have of course, talked about a bit. Um, Jed Brophy, who maybe at least... I don't know how many of the uh, U.S. audience might know him by name, but everybody ultimately will know him by sight because he's been all over the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit uh, trilogy. And he and another actor named Mark Hadlow, who is also in the Hobbit trilogy, shot a $10,000 feature film called Blue Moon in a small town in New Zealand. And it's been cleaning up on the festival circuit. And so the director of that, who's a police officer, had basically seen enough interesting things in his life on the beat that he turned it into a screenplay, got, I think, actually a grant from the New Zealand Police Department to help make the film for 10000 bucks. And I'll even admit, like, they invited us down to the set, and so we went for a day, um, actually, a couple of the team members got to go for two days and sort of like, you know, hey, that's nice. Best of luck and had low expectations for it. And yet again, it's going all over the place, becoming a crowd pleasing festival, favorite winning awards. And it's like the El Mariachi story all over again. Like you have a story, you have conviction, you can do it. And so, um, like, that's the message that I sort of feel that needs to get out to anybody, because you hear that, like, 10 million bucks, that's not really obtainable. 100 million bucks to do a Spider-Man sequel, you know, you're not going to get that for your first film. But, you know, 10,000 bucks, almost anybody can scratch their head, put together their friend, family connection, and see a path that potentially... Achieving that or else going to go fund me or Seed and Spark and getting the backing that it has possible. Absolutely. So anyway, just to close out the story before I go off on too many more tangents. So we sent the six winners off, including the new documentary that was somehow even better than Tokyo Underwater, <laughs> though that was as amazing as can be. And yet a different film won the best Picture for the contest. And it was equally deserving too. And it was amazing. And the, I guess, maraschino cherry on top is this year we rolled out a $25,000 grand prize cash for the grand prize winner to make their next Filmic project. Well, the grand prize winner was already shooting his first feature film with Filmic Pro. So what we had thought was going to be like a six, eight, month uh process of well you know write the script send us the script we'll give you your first installment you know get some actors get your footage in the can and we'll send you the second installment and the guy's like no no you don't (laughs) understand i'm already on set shooting right now and i could use that money right now oh wow
1: so you sent him the money
0: yeah (laughs) that's great the the first installment, the second one comes when we see the dailies. Is that right? now, I think actually have that off. So he's getting two installments, and then when uh, the dailies are done, then he gets the post-production budget. But amazing. So that's incredible. And for us, that validates exactly the story that we want to tell. And one other interesting example of that is a filmmaker named Sven Griesbach won the second Filmic Short Film Contest. And then this past year, I saw this amazing video that was produced by Apple called The Reef. And who's the director? It's Sven Driesbach. So Apple ends up sending him halfway around the world uh, to go make an underwater story about biologists who are documenting whale sharks um, and other aquatic life. And he did it in at least part because of the visibility that he got from winning our contest. So like, that's fantastic. We would ultimately like to open up those doors of opportunity to scores of filmic users and not just the people who win the grand prize. So this
1: is all amazing stuff just amazing isn't it wonderful to be able to take something that you love so much and give it to so many other people and then watch it flourish it's it's just got to be wonderful
0: yeah i will admit i occasionally lose sight of that a little bit as companies get bigger and bring on more people the pressure and the stakes get larger to the ability to run an organization as it gets a little bit larger also gets more challenging the pressure to potentially raise money to compete with other people um kind of intrudes itself in an almost unwelcome uh way you know filmic really doesn't have any interest in like basically making wealthy guys wealthier you know i mean we care about opening up doors to opportunities for people who might not have it. So if we could find people who are specifically interested in empowering that vision, then that would be great. But definitely don't want to, you know, get roped into somebody who's like, OK, I gave you X. Now you have to sell the company in three years so I can get 10 X. So that's not why we do it. But you know, other people don't make that same uh, decision necessarily. And then we suddenly find ourselves competing with people who have a lot more money and then that introduces all sorts of, you know, internal hand wringings. And so, I mean, actually that just brings it full full circle back to the contest. That's why it is so welcome for us. It's sort of like the North Star, like it always lets us realign our priorities to exactly where they're supposed to be and like oh yeah this is why we do it this is why so that guy can tell the story about that wonderful swimmer and her courage and her conviction and like you can't watch it and not be moved or affected and i mean i would take the emotional import of that and put it up against the last 10 superhero movies combined
1: Absolutely,
0: production budget of over a billion dollars and i still think this little five-minute movie said more
1: because it goes to people's hearts and i can tell you anytime you get mired in the business side which you have to do running a business but if you get mired in that you just remember that there is a huge army of people out there creative people who are using what you have given us to reach people's hearts. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And we're grateful.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And everybody on the team does. We take an enormous amount of pride and satisfaction in reaching those people. And just to see where all of the stories come from. Yeah. So, so phenomenal.
1: Well, I know that you have a lot to do. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and we're going to share this with everyone out there. Uh, Where do you want people to go to learn more about Filmic Pro?
0: Yeah, so certainly our website www.filmicpro.com is the starting place for any of that social media channels are certainly a great way to keep up on everything. We have a YouTube and Vimeo Channel, But you can actually reach most of the important content through the website or um, either of those avenues to get both the tutorials, which I think is a fantastic way to ensure that you get the richest experience possible out of the applications but also then getting to see some of the best content that's been made with it, which I guarantee will inspire anybody to begin their own journey.
1: That is awesome. Well, you have a wonderful evening. Thank you for doing this. And everybody listening, remember what I always tell you, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. And thank you to OWC for sponsoring our podcast. We really appreciate it. And Neil, we really appreciate you and the whole team at Filmic Pro. Take
0: care. You too, Serena. Thank you so much for having me.